Welcome to Back from the Brink. This is Todd Brinker. I am here today with my special guest, my father, Jack Brinker. How you doing, Dad? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good. Okay, so now we're really recording. Yeah, the behind the scenes here. Getting everything going, getting us set up. So hopefully we'll be able to do this again in the future without quite the, uh, you know, 25 minutes of... Uh, let me see. How do we get logged in? Let's get this thing set up over here, uh, get the volume levels right, and uh, and then me actually hitting record at the right time, right? Yeah. All these magical and technical the, details. And me, and me remembering to use Skype instead of FaceTime for some reason. So, yeah, well, you know, I, I oh, love the... Call, yeah, I guess I'll... Yeah, you know, I love the security that Apple builds into their stuff, but um, a while back... They plugged some holes in FaceTime that were perceived as security issues, and in doing so, basically broke a whole bunch of um, uh, programs that allowed people to record audio during a FaceTime conversation. And, excuse me, um, you know, it's, I guess you would want to be able to tell some, you, you might want to not be able to record audio or maybe when they're recording audio, they should be flashing a light or something telling you it's being recorded so that you're not being recorded surreptitiously. But for people who do podcasts and sometimes if you just want to save a family conversation, uh, the ability to record, I honestly think it should be built into the stupid app. I don't know why it has to, has to have all these hooks for other apps to do it. But, um, you know, I wish that uh, Apple would open that up again because, I think that they've got a really good technology there. It works better, you know, better than a lot of the alternatives in terms of just the quality of the video and the quality of the sound. Um, I will say, though, that when you get a group of people talking on FaceTime, it's kind of a mess. You know? Yeah. I understand why I Zoom... Go ahead. I, I, haven't, I haven't done that, and apparently TalkOver creates a problem for you because could you, you could... Could you hear me when when I first came in there? Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, I could hear you. The, the issue isn't isn't um, uh, you know talk over. It's making sure on my end because I have a very non typical setup at my end between my mic and my amplifier, and I've got things running through a um, mixing board, and so I've got to make sure I have the right channels brought up. And FaceTime doesn't always come up exactly set up the same way that. Skype does, and so I've got to go through preferences to make sure everything's using the right device, and then make sure that that device has got you know um, volume up on my board, and it's just you know there's several steps involved, and so um, you know when I'm bouncing back and forth, I got to be careful about what I'm doing. Yeah, I understand. Uh, my old brain doesn't follow that stuff like it like it used to be when I was younger. Yeah, now if it was a Cocoa computer, you'd be right there, right? You know, you got me over hooked on the Apple stuff just about the right point in my life, you know, as I was gradually starting to exhibit a few senalities. <laughs> I said, oh, man, it's nice to make things easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm getting credit for that, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you credit for that, because I probably wouldn't have switched to Apple, you know, coming out of the business world where particularly my bread and butter was then very tied in with office. I mean, my last years within, uh, of working had everything to do with programming using Visual Basic behind every uh, office app and, and uh, interconnecting them, integrating system, 
you know, the various yeah. systems. Yeah, no, I remember you automated all uh, kinds of things using uh, using the, the programming language that was built into the Office apps, which was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, you know, I, I, I fell in love with the system when I really uh, started using Access because Access, mm -hmm. being a database, was a great tool for integrating things. And shortly thereafter, we got a contract with, with a, a major corporation, which I don't need to name, but uh, boy, did they need the help to integrate their data because they were, uh, at that time, everybody was an Excel spreadsheet guy being engineers, and they just had, you know, had, had all these columns of data for their particular area of interest. And somebody right. would call them up and say, hey, I need your data to go run this test over on my equipment. And uh, the only way they could do it is uh, the guy would send them a, a, a copy of his Excel spreadsheet, and uh, then the guy would want to integrate that with his own data, okay? Yeah. So he would try to merge two spreadsheets so that he could get the big picture that he needed for his test. And in the process of integration, he'd sometimes screw up the data unknowingly, or if he did it manually, he, he most assuredly had typos and other things. And yeah. So they go to run the test and get valid results, and then they had to figure out how to explain all that. Then you can't imagine the confusion in a big company with hundreds of engineers all trying to communicate their particular area to the next guy and get it right all the time. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. Yeah, and all it, all I, it I really takes is – yeah, well, I was gonna say all it takes yeah. is is you know accidentally uh, uh, deleting a single character in a single formula on a single cell to destroy a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, and and you know it was a real high for me though because I was the uh, uh, shining star for that uh, group of people for the time that I was there and, until I retired, uh, and uh, so. Uh, I, in the process, got to train a lot of people on how to mm -hmm. use the, the office stuff that I had so that when I left, they would continue to be able to maintain it and, yeah. and even grow it. And so, uh, anyway, uh, I, I do have to say that I think Microsoft, uh, by putting uh, a language, whether it was basic or something else, behind all of those apps, provided yeah. a wonderful service that you still can't get anywhere else. Yeah. To well, me, that was the strength of Office. There was a yeah, and, and I and I agree with you. I think that um, you know Microsoft was um, you know first glance, I think a lot of people would look at that and go, "Why on earth would you need this this programming language?" Because they kind of went beyond just scripting. It was a pretty pretty robust language, and it was tied very very uh, deeply to each of the apps. Um, but it sure. It, yeah. it, it turned out to be a stroke of genius, and it also seems to be kind of very much the way um, a Bill Gates company would think, right? Is like, oh yeah, everything should be yeah. programming programmatically controlled. Um, that said, though, well, you know, go ahead. Basic, basic was based, the root of that company. You know that. that was oh yeah, absolutely. Thing first thing they ever did was basic. Yeah, yeah. So. That, the, they, that was the heart of their business. Yeah, no, that was something that was, uh, um, I think Bill Gates was intimately uh, aware of and, and, and had, you know, he, he essentially designed their first um, compiler, he and Paul Allen, and or, or basic interpreter, and uh, 
And so he really knew that. And I think he also, more than that, just believed that, you know, a near English language programming uh, system made something like that super easy for for people to use that the average guy could figure it out if he wanted to. And yet it was still robust enough that a programmer could find it useful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now what I was going to say though, is that, you know, when you switched to the Mac, you no longer had a need to do it. So I don't think you ever dug into it, but you know, the, the Mac world has a system wide scripting language that ties into tons and tons of apps and you can automate tons of stuff between applications on the Mac using Apple script. And in fact, you can still do that. Yeah, it's still there. And in fact, um, at one of the newspapers that I worked at, a gentleman named Jeff Beebe wrote uh, Apple scripts that basically automated the entire newsroom in terms of moving documents from one location to another and processing them for publishing. Because they have to go to several different steps for, you know, editors and headline writers and things like that. And so he had things moving from um, one place to another and and doing um, like uh, mass format changes on things. And all you do is um, uh, activate a script and it integrated with, you know, four or five different applications in that process. Yeah, well, I'm sure I would have learned and, and used all of those capabilities if I had switched to Apple before I retired. Right. But that wasn't my so I no longer had any need to uh, to do a lot of that stuff. Yeah, isn't it funny how how certain things like that you you find that you um, you learn it because you have a need to solve a problem, and so you 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 get into it because you're solving a problem, not because you're super interested in it. In the course of doing it, you find out it's really interesting. But if you try to yeah. reverse that, if you reverse that and say, well, it's kind of interesting, it's really hard to get into it and learn to do something because you're not really solving a problem; you're just kind of putzing around. Right. You know? oh, oh, yeah. The, uh, the the driving force is your motivation. Yeah. You know, and if and if you're not motivated to, to do something like that, it's just too much effort. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like you can play around with it and you'll kind of learn it peripherally if you're interested in it. But you never really get to the meat of something unless you're you're trying to solve a problem and you're like, I got to figure out how to make this do that. You know, then you really have you ever thought about get to it. Have you ever thought about the, the the one characteristic of just about every coder out there, the guys that get into programming? They're they have no lazy. social skills? <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's just a side effect. Yeah, I'm no, teasing. They're, they're, they're basically all lazy. Yeah. And what they realize is that I can make this machine smarter so I don't have to do repetitive stuff. And so... You, you automatically think about it, everything you've got. What can I automate, you know, to make my job easier? Yeah, yeah it's funny. I, it's funny you say that because I had a boss tell me when I first started working at the paper there in, the, in San Bernardino. I used to work for the Gannett paper, the San Bernardino Sun. And uh, my boss, Bob Weeks, gave me a task one time, and he said, you've got a week to do this. He figured it was about four or five days' worth of work, and so he gave me a week to do it. And... A couple days go by, and he wanted to know my progress. And I said, well, I'm still thinking through how I'm going to handle this. And a couple more days go by, and he says, so where are you at? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I think I've kind of figured out what I'm going to do, but I haven't, haven't quite got there. And he goes, well, you've only got a couple days left. I said, I know. And it gets to the last day, and I, I, he comes into work, and, and I had just started actually putting it together. And what I did was I thought not only how to solve the problem, but how to automate it so that we could use that to solve that same problem in future times. And, uh, and he looked at me and he goes, I swear you're the laziest person I've ever seen. You spent a week doing nothing so that you could spend, do this job in like two hours. And I went, 
Well, maybe, but think about it this way. You know, <laughs> I solved the problem for not only now, but for the next couple times we have to do something like this, you know? And, uh, and he says, well, yeah. he begrudgingly gave me credit, but he was like kind of rolling his eyes thinking next time I'm not going to give you a week. I'm going to give you, you know, but I told him, I said, you know, if you'd have told me I had to do it in two hours, I would have done it in two hours and we would have had the problem solved that time, but not any subsequent times by giving me time to think about it. I found a better solution. He just didn't well, like the fact that I was getting paid to think about it. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but you see how that's how uh, uh, all study and thought is not something they're willing to pay for. The managers most of the time think in terms of just labor. Right. You and know? that's the thing is the, the appearances were that I was just sitting around not doing anything. You know, and so that's yes. why he it bothered him that I was sitting around not physically doing anything. And and what I was doing was solving the problem in the best way possible on the deadline he gave me. <laughs> well, in fact, you see, if management valued thought for what it's really worth, they would understand that people like you and me uh, don't stop thinking about this stuff when we go home at night either. I mean, I dreamed about it. I wake up oh, yeah. in the middle of the night with. <laughs> With so, answers to uh, problems that I yeah. thought about during the day. And, and in order to not lose them, I would capture them by having a pencil and a paper laying by my bedside on the stand so I could quickly write this down and, and recall it in the morning. You know? Yeah, I, so, I have done the same thing. You know, and, I, and I believe that's the truth, uh, not just about engineering or technical problems. Uh, I believe that just about everybody in the creative world uh, has to do the same thing because you never know when inspiration and and mm -hmm. uh, you know for whatever skill it is that you you're trying to uh, mm -hmm. to gain uh, it comes to you whenever it comes to you. you know? Yeah. <laughs> now, when I used to work in Los Angeles, I had almost a two-hour commute, and I would. Um, call my office phone and leave myself voice messages because I would solve problems while I'm driving and had no way to write it down. So I would call myself That's at work right. and, and, and I would talk to myself as I, in the third person. I go, okay, Todd, here's what I got. So do this. And, you know, and sometimes I'd come into work and I'd have like 15 voicemails and, and all but two of them were me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I, like, I, I just love listening to interviews of particularly musicians and they talk about the creative process. You know, they wrote yeah. this song in, in, you know, five minutes, you know, or mm -hmm. something like that. And people think that's absolutely amazing. But the fact is, is that they had contemplated that song, and they'll reveal that a lot of times yeah. uh, over a period of time. Uh, very often, uh, most songs, the title for the song is some, something somebody says. It just happens to grab them. It's just like it reaches out and says, boy, this is perfect way to say something yeah you know? and they that's, that they capture they'll write that down in immediately mm -hmm. because they recognize the importance of it and sometimes they don't come back to it for years and they'll find this scrap of paper that they wrote on and they said wow and yeah they, you know start writing the rest of the words for the song you know yeah no so i've seen some musicians that have said that too and in fact one of them very explicitly said the difference between an average person and a creative person is the creative person captures that inspiration and comes back to it they have the discipline to come right. back to it and and noodle on it whereas the average person thinks of it and it's out of their head and gone before they have taken any action on it and he said you know the difference yeah. between you and me yeah. isn't that i've got more talent it's that i take those those little bits of inspiration and and save them and 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 then work on them 
And and the other thing that I find interesting is when when I look at the title of a song, very often I feel like I'm getting I can immediately grasp why somebody thought that was a great idea for a song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's almost an intuitive thing with me. But but yeah. I'm so sensitive to music that uh, well, your mom is in an elevator with me or sometime, and there's some elevator music going on. And, she seems like she does. She's not hearing it at all, and that's all I'm hearing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I you just, focus in on it and go like, "Wow, that that's a neat change of chords or a progression of a melody." Yeah. So, anyway, creativity is an interesting thing that's hard to understand how it works, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's it's beautiful. It is, and it's amazing it's how that um, there is that sort of subconscious inspiration. That that like you said, your brain just sort of noodles on it, even when you're not really focusing on it a lot. Uh, when I was managing people and trying to solve problems, sometimes it was really good for me to just go walking around and talking to people, you know, and seeing what they were doing, and, and take my my mind off of the direct issue. And very often, by the time I got back to my office, I sort of had a new take on what I was doing, just because my my attention had been focused somewhere else for a little while, and and let my subconscious do its thing, you know. And then you'd come back and go, oh, yeah. yeah, okay, now I've got a new take on this, and maybe i got a solution. And when you started to, to say this, I was just, it's come to my mind like father, like son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because I, I can't tell you the number of times I've mentioned to your mom that, you know, I spent the, the afternoon or something going around to seeing people in different offices uh, just to find out one little thing. And that that became critical to the work I was doing in uh, at the time because I had to interface with so many different people. Right. And I'd pick up information just from those little social contacts uh, that that would be valuable to my job. Yeah. And, and in fact, I didn't really realize how important it was until I think it was a year after I'd first retired and I'd come back and just went by the office to visit one day. They let me in and sat down and talked to some people and and I realized that for a year without having exposure to what was going on, I couldn't have come back to work and been effective at all. I'd lost all of that. Yeah, it takes a while to get that mojo back, right? Because you, you kind of got your finger on right. the pulse of what's going on. Yeah, in fact, somebody says, why don't you come back? We need you because, you know, this and that. And it became real apparent that I, just from what I was hearing from, from the people uh, that that I didn't have those skills anymore. I couldn't help him. Yeah. You, know? you said, if I came back for a year, you'd be going like, what's he doing here? Because it would take me that long to get back up to speed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, and In the question fact, is, I, do you really want to work that hard, right? You had already had a year of retirement. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to work that hard. <laughs> well, you know, in looking back, that happened every time I got moved. You know, in the military, you get transferred, whereas in civilian life, maybe not as often, but every time you changed jobs and went somewhere, it take a quite a long time. Uh, I don't know if it was a year, but maybe six months uh, minimum or something like that before you really uh, understood what was going on so that you could uh, feel like you're really contributing, you know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, these days I think the workforces are more transitive and more mobile, which I think maybe is doing us a disservice in some instances because you're right. I think that that, that it takes a certain amount of time to ramp up and sort of, you know, get a feel for what's 
what the real issues are and how to how to solve them. Yeah, you know, but I do think that uh, there's a lot of things that we do pick up with the social media. Uh, of course, that's not in the work realm, but if you if you use the tools that, that of social media, like they're starting to do because of the virus, uh, uh, where people will have online meetings or whatever, yeah, that's pretty comparable to walking around to offices and stuff. Uh, yeah, you can you can quite as normal or it's not yeah. as natural because. I think you but, can approximate but those, it. But, yeah. And I think that I, I think um, pretty... we're going to we're going to see more and more of that over time. I think a lot of companies, excuse me, and people are finding that, you know, although that, you know, working at home presents some problems, I think it also presents some opportunities. And so I think you're going to see more companies offer that as an alternative or at least part time from home. Uh, and part-time in an office, you know, maybe they'll have a schedule where half the workers come in on Monday and Wednesday and half come in on Tuesday and Thursday and everybody stays home on Friday kind of thing. So you're, you're home three days of work in a, a week and in the office two days a week. Well, I'll tell you, I was one that experienced a, a, a period where I uh, worked from the, from my home. And that was after I had retired, uh, a company wanted to hire me, but they didn't have an office, you know, yeah, uh, but I was uh, I was going to work kind of like a sales rep, except that I wasn't in the sales regime. I was doing technical work, and that about drove me crazy. The communications tools at that point, uh, internet was kind of new, and there wasn't really a lot of capability. Yeah, uh, I it about drove me crazy being at home. I I really felt like man, I'm going to yeah. lose my job. I I think wasn't feeling like I. Yeah, you didn't feel like you're part of something. You're very, uh, very much the other, right? Right. Yeah, I think that yeah. there, there's a sense of that, but I think there's a combination of two things. One is, like you said, the, the tools and the tech, um, the technology is advanced so that we can get there. Also, I think a large chunk of the um, uh, workforce is now much more used to using those tools, even just in their own social setting, and so transitioning yeah. to them for for work is not that much of a difference. But I also think there's just some people, not necessarily work specifically, but persons, personalities that just aren't cut out for this. You know that, that they need to be able to, to you know, have that that uh, you know uh, the standing around Interact. the water water uh, tower at work, you know, or water. Uh, um, what do they call those things? The water cooler. There's by the water, water cooler. cooler. You know, and and I, I realize that's not. You know, that's more euphemism than it is is reality these days. But you know what I mean. You know, if you're a teacher, some some teachers need to have the the um, the the teachers lounge where they can just kind of touch base with the folks as opposed to uh, um, doing the Brady Bunch squares on your computer screen, you know. Right. And some of it is it's an opportunity to sort of commiserate, too, because, you know, you have good and bad days. So you can get a little you, you use people to get a little off uh, of the emotions out. And yeah. Stuff like that. So yeah. That that's person. A part of, there, there are people that you not necessarily confide in so much, but that you just kind of go, man, I've had a crappy day. And it just helps you to say it out loud to somebody. And that's tougher to do to yeah. literally call somebody up to then dump on them, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say that you know uh, uh, Elaine, my wife, has had uh, you know, but but uh, she uh, is is a teacher, and 
in addition to like meetings that they had with the staff, which was, you know, most of the faculty uh, or the faculty and staff, she would have like uh, department meetings like other math teachers would get together. And these are some of her friends. And although, you know, I was in the other room, I could hear her talking at times and some of their conversations were very much, in fact, most of them were very much focused on, well, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, and here's the sheet. And, okay, you'll do this sheet, and I'll do that sheet. And, but, but also part of it was, was that, when they were in that smaller group, where they could just kind of go, oh, could you believe that kid who said X, Y, Z? Holy moly, what a, what a little turd he is, you know? Or, you know, it's just the teachers yeah. venting a little bit, you know? And um, the only thing that scares me a little bit is that, because you're broadcasting it or you're, you're talking across technology, somebody could be recording that. In fact, it's built yeah. in to record those conversations, and, and, and it's like, great. Now all you need is somebody to record that, and somehow then somebody thinks it'd be smart to publicly post you calling a kid a little turd, you know? And, yeah. you know, that's teachers venting. Yeah. They, they, you know, they love their kids, even the little turds. But sometimes you just got to say, oh, my gosh, that kid sent me 27 emails asking me to, to grade his paper, you know, between 5 and 6 a.m. or 5 and 6 p.m. on a Friday night. And it's like, I'm not going to grade it till I come in on Monday. And he's just going to have to sit through the weekend. But, you know, and, and so they just want to vent a little yeah. bit. And that that's dangerous. Well, and, and unfortunately, we all witness on an almost a daily basis where that abuse of data occurs with people in sensitive positions. You know, in other words, political leaders and, and the like, that uh, what they say is blown all out of proportions too often, you know, and they have the same needs that we do, you know. Yeah. And at some time or another, they're going to they're going to slip up i mean yeah just they're gonna be... they're gonna vent and some ding dong's gonna have a recorder on you know i mean who was it um uh they they caught i think uh george w bush and um um barack obama at one point or another where they were like sitting on the back end of a stage before they came on but their mic was turned on and so both of them got caught saying something something stupid and of course the press blew up about it and that those blew over fairly quickly but you know it's like they're human beings they're going to say, can you believe this idiot who's, like, an, introducing them or something? It's going to happen. You, you know, I, I see so much of that that I, I think that's contributed to uh, uh, some dislike, if not, if not downright hatred, for certain people in the press. They'll jump on somebody as if they're perfect, and I'd like to put a mirror right in front of them and... Uh, in fact, sometimes it's, there's obvious comebacks uh, to where they're, they're not perfect, you know? Yeah. And and yet, typically the press never has to answer for their blunders, and they refuse to sometimes, even right. when they're obvious. Yeah, they want to say, you know, oh, because, we hold so-and-so to a higher higher standard, but, but nobody's holding them to a higher standard. Right, right. And But it's all about power, and, and the, they got the mic in front of them and somebody else doesn't, you know? Yeah. Well, it's about power, but it's but it but even further, even deeper. If you dig a little deeper, it's it's about dollars and cents, and and it's like if we can if we can create a story and hysteria about something, then we can get more eyeballs and uh, more people watching our show, which means we can sell our commercials for more and we make more money. And so our yeah. our news media as a uh, commercial entity is one of the things where capitalism, I don't think, has worked to our benefit in the long run because 
that the, the motivations for news media is not to provide fair and balanced news, regardless of what your political leanings are. The motivations from news media is to get you to watch them more. And so the, you know, if it lead, if it bleeds, it leads motto that, that, that exists for yellow journalism is never more true than today. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, uh, I listened to that program that, uh, that you sent me this morning, the, uh, the uh, left, right, and center an hour long. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I found that interesting. Uh, what I was told mom after, uh, after, uh, I listened to that is I discovered that, uh, you know, no matter how much news you watch, and I, I mm-hmm. watch a whole lot more than she does. Uh, and I try to get it from at least b- both political camps. There was a lot of things in that, that one hour talk about those people. And I think it was generational, but maybe not. They brought up stuff that I was totally unaware of. Yeah, I did, you too. Know? And that's why I shared it with you, because it was very interesting that none of those people are the regular panel that is on left, right and center. But the format was the same. In this particular instance, everybody oh. on the panel was African-American. And they um, there was some generational stuff, clearly. The, the two gentlemen that were speaking were clearly... Um, uh, you know, 20 years older than the young lady who was the, the host and supposedly the center. Um, and, but yeah. their perspectives on things were very different, uh, not only politically, but also ge- uh, generationally. And, um, and, and it was interesting. I, I just enjoyed that show because it, it was the perspectives of people who are different than me and explained in a really, um, good conversational manner nobody's shouting at each other they're not putting each other down they're 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 just saying you know this is where i'm coming from and this is you know and here's the history of why i believe this or that i actually really like that particular podcast because they're even their regular speakers um uh behave in that same fashion the setup of the show is good you know it's not it's not one of those shows where you have somebody like mclaughlin going you're wrong you know yeah (laughs) well uh, I do have a criticism of that show, though, uh, and it became pretty apparent that I didn't know and couldn't relate from one moment to the next who was talking. So uh-huh. when, when you've got more than three people uh, on a podcast uh, talking and the voices don't sound distinctively enough that I can tell who's talking relative yeah. to previous remarks, I don't know who, I, you know, I wanted a video so bad yeah. just to be able to identify one comment with another one yeah well it was originally radio broadcast so there's no video yeah i know yeah i know so but but it it pointed out that when it comes to podcasting or things you need to limit the number of speakers to maybe three max yeah i think generally what then it might be Generally, the format of that show is that there's a left, a right, and a center. So there's three speakers. And they usually do a segment, and then they do a break. And in the break, they have like a guest or two guests on. And so the host then talks to the guest or two guests. And then they come back at the end and do another segment with the original three speakers again. And so, um, you know, but if you're, again, it's, you know, if you've got people who tend to sound alike, it can be a little confusing. Um uh, uh-huh. Most recently, the um, left has been represented by a woman, and the right is represented by a gentleman from um, um, uh, oh shoot, the um, National Review. 
uh, yeah. magazine. And then, and I can't think of his name. Um, well, actually, I can't think of any of their names. And then there's a gentleman who's the host. And they their voices, the three of them, are distinct enough. Once in a while, when they get a guest on, you it, you might have trouble following you know who's talking about what. But the three of them, there's enough of a distinction between the host and the National Review guy and then the woman um, that you can kind of, you know, you really understand who's talking at, at what point. Um, and if you follow the conversation, sometimes, you know, they're um, clearly, you know, sort of dis- defending their political perspective. And so, you know, yeah. you know, just based on that, you could probably figure it out as well. But I agree. You're right. That particular podcast, there was, um, I think, a fourth person. So there was four people talking instead of three. And uh, the two older gentlemen sounded an awful lot alike. And so you had to listen carefully to be clear who was talking about what. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, well, one of them was conservative and the other conservative and the other right. one is libertarian. And right. So both of those group groups uh, fit over in the Republican side, if you will, if you split it that way. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I, I couldn't tell much difference in that. Uh, but but the other thing I, I was going to mention is you, you sent that in response to my uh, uh, I gave you several links. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't. I didn't send it in response to anything. I sent it just because it was interesting. I had it was not meant yeah. to be a response because I have not had an opportunity to sit down and, and listen to any of the links that you sent. So it was. It, yeah, so, un- so don't don't. Ass- those, aren't, those aren't audio or video links. Those are only text links, which is fine. So I'll read them. But find their show somewhere else yeah but but i found but i found both of those guys uh, well one more i like more than the other one because he could talk better one fella kind of wasn't able to express himself all that well but but anyway both of them were from my generation yeah and i and, and I'm, I'm not surprised i think that uh that they reflected the view of, of the generation that came through the civil rights movement. And basically there's a lot of disappointments in, in them regarding uh, the current generation of, of blacks. I mean, these guys, gentlemen are black and they went through that, that whole ordeal and basically felt that big progress was made. And, and, and they made, they just kept pounding on that in, in the discussions I listened to. And, uh, and the fact that they think the, the young people, because they didn't have that experience, don't really understand that, uh, they, they, you know, most Americans have really changed dramatically from that day on. And, mm-hmm. and they don't they don't they don't see it that way. There's too much yeah. generalization about all of us being, you know, haters and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's really detrimental. That's yeah, really no, I, I agree, but I think that, that, that conversely, the younger generation could make the point that you haven't lived through our lives and what it's like today. We don't know what you went through. You're right, but you don't know what we're going through either. Yeah. That your perspective of what we're yeah. going through today is that of a retired person, and it's not the same as somebody who's out in the, in the you know, job market and, and uh, yep. you know, uh, and so that's going to, you know, color everybody's um uh perspectives slightly differently I agree I I, I understand that entirely uh, there's there's always a breach in because of the experience of uh, 
generations. Sure. We, we all have different experiences. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we also, I mean, historically, and this is not the first, you know, these, this isn't the first set of generations and it won't be the last set of generations that looks at the other one and goes, well, you know, you don't get it. You don't see what we went through. And then the younger one's going, but you don't get it. You're not seeing what we're living through right now, you know? And it's like, yeah, you're right. We don't. Where'd you go? Yeah. Uh, Oh, there you are. Uh, I thought that I could turn this program off and it would go down in the corner like by. Uh, uh, oh, because I just sent you a link. Apple. See, that's the disadvantage of doing this. That. Yeah. The disadvantage of doing this on an iPad as is it doesn't do it doesn't um, uh, do the multitasking as well. Now, if you knew the right gestures, you could probably split your screen and put Skype in one side and look at your messages on the other. But it's gestures there's no obvious like menu to click on and say split screen yeah well anyway it's it uh it did keep multitasking because i could hear your voice right but it must have shut off the camera yeah so i was going to read your text because all i got well, was a little you know, banner and... yeah well you're welcome to so, the, anyway all it was was a link i was just going to set something up so that we could go on to another topic and that happens to be that apple there's a rumor saying that apple uh, on june 22nd when they do their online um uh worldwide developers conference that they're going to announce yeah. arm-based macs oh that's, so, that's this month right yeah it's june 22nd is is when they will have their um their uh keynote and launch the the uh launch the the um conference and it's going to be an online conference um it'll be very interesting i I suspect they're also going to announce a new version of facetime that competes with zoom that they're going to use for their conference gatherings because just using just using facetime isn't going to work right and so um right and i can't see them saying let's go use zoom (laughs) yeah apple has has to get into that uh, business yeah i mean that they can't, be, they can't be up where they are now. Yeah, no. So they've got the and underlying technology. It, it, and it doesn't matter that they're late. They're going to be better. Right. Yeah, I mean, way. that's always the way Apple does it. They're not necessarily the first ones out the door with new technologies, but they always manage to say, well, let's let's own the underlying technology and let's do it better. Let's look at where, you know, the 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 root piece of like, well, how do we get video moving back and forth? And, you know, do we, you know, in order to get better quality video, do we need to have a compression chip on our devices? Fine. Then let's put a compression chip, you know, let's put hardware on the device that makes this better because they own the whole pipeline and they'll do that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, so. that's exciting. I, I like this. My favorite time of year is the worldwide developers mm-hmm. conference because that's where they're talking to all of the, professionals that need to to turn their hardware into right. a, you know better product yeah and so that's the way they they've always operated let's yeah let's they'll get, get more people working for us you know yeah well this, they've already switched processors twice in their history and they've always announced it at the worldwide developers conference because that they want to um get programmers starting to to set up their apps so that they can then be compiled to run on both processors uh, and whatever kind of platform or, or that they have for for creating dual boot executables, which is what they've done in the past, um, and so you just end up yeah. with a fat ex- executable file, a fat app basically that'll run on either platform for a period of time until they phase out the old one. Um, 
but yeah, they're saying it's apparently Bloomberg is now repeat, uh, uh, reporting that the uh, uh, first uh, Mac powered by an ARM processor will arrive in 2021. Um, now, I feel bad for the guys who just went and spent, you know, $14,000 or more on one of those new Mac Pros. Not that those are suddenly oh, now yeah. obsolete, but holy moly, you know, if you're a professional and you just spent, you know, somewhere between thirteen dollars and $30,000 on a professional computer that is, you know, top of the line, best that you could possibly buy, and now Apple says, well, oh, by the way, we're going to shift to this. I think, though, that anybody who bought one of those had to know that this was on the horizon. It's been in the rumor mill for quite a while and that they've been I've heard things variously yeah. anywhere from this year to twenty twenty three or four um as to when it's gonna happen. So yeah. I wonder well, if you know, on that machine they're not going to have a board that you can pop into it and and put an ARM processor into it. And then you can use the I, Intel I, that's there plus the new ARM one. Okay, you just jumped in with what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which would also explain why it took them over a year to develop a new processor or a new computer, right? Because they weren't just developing yes. a new computer, you know, stick it in a box and make it and, and deal with airflow. They were thinking, how are we going to make this work with Intel and with this new, you know, uh, A chip that's going to be coming at some point in the future? You know, you. That's typical of Apple. You know, you can look, go back and look at all the times when they were criticized and it seemed like it was taking them too long to get something done. Well, that's because they, they want to think through the real problem and work it all out over the long time. Because they're lazy like yeah. I was, right? you got to think about it for three right. or four days before you do any work. <laughs> let's, let's, do it, let's do it right the first time, you know? Right. Yeah, well, it makes yeah. so much sense, you know? It does, and it's, the thing... It, you know, they don't share their product pipeline plans out like some companies do, so we don't know that. But when they finally do announce it or release it, then you go like, ah, you know, now nah, I get it. You know, Well, it's properly driven by new technology. Yeah. And, and I do mean new and not, not just a modification to what somebody else has done. Uh, yeah. They, 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 uh, want to do it right and in an efficient and effective way. And, and that's why they're so profitable. You know, they, yeah. they come out and you know when you buy an Apple product that you, you're going to have at least five good years uh, that you're ahead of just about everybody else because it takes yeah. everybody else a long time to catch up. And some sometimes they, they nobody really uh, does catch up with them. Yeah. You know, I heard somebody they, describe they, they it. Cheap. I heard somebody describe the other day that, like, you know, like your typical um, computer manufacturer, they make a cheaply made computer, they make a moderately well-made computer, and then they make a high-end computer. And their high-end computer is a well-built computer that's probably the equal of what Apple sells. Apple doesn't do that. Apple basically sells a well-built computer in at the at the low end, a well-built computer at the middle end, a well-built computer at the high end. Um, and they use the top of the bin parts. They use the, the best memory, the best CPU chips. Some of the CPUs that they use aren't even available in Windows computers, even though they're an Intel chip. If you look at the part number, you know it's a slightly different part number than it's available to some of their competitors because they cut a deal and said, we want one spec this way. And because they're big enough and have enough sway, Intel's you know custom fabbing certain chips for them. And um, that 
they they then differentiate by charging you two hundred dollars for another eight gig of RAM. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, I mean, that's how they 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 that's a marketing decision, but not a an engineering decision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't make compromises well, on the engineering side. And I say that they make compromises because everybody does. You make decisions about what you do and don't do. But their compromises are always in terms of, you know, how do we hit, um, you know, uh, we're not going to sacrifice any of the quality in the production and, and build of this thing. So our compromises are what features do we put into it in order to make it fit this price point versus this price point? Yeah. Yep. Well, they they pretty much disconnect the price from from all the, the technology, and then somebody in the marketing department has to come up and say, "Well, how are we going to price it?" <laughs> right. So right. They, so it's so it sounds arbitrary because it is. <laughs> so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They. Um, you know, they have to look at. You know what the actual cost of of uh creating you know 10,000 of the, whatever this thing is here or or a million of whatever this thing is and then say you know we got to make sure we have a good healthy profit off of this but what are we going to give them in in return and what's that you know and how does that compare to this other thing that we make so although there's been I have times a for you. Oh go ahead. That's kind of kind of a change of subject but uh AR was really Trump to be a, another big thing because you know we can go put that in all these devices, but I haven't seen anything. Is is anything happening out there in the manufacturing or business world using AR? That's that's uh, important. You know, um, I understand that it's it's being used in a limited sense in uh, for training that for people who are learning to do something that having that that uh, video overlaid on what you're actually seeing is a great way to train somebody to do things like you know bicycle mechanic or motorcycle mechanic or how to do complex tasks it walks you through but um, right now most of the systems are very clunky and and I haven't actually seen that to my to my knowledge there's very few, other outside of that narrow little description um, I don't know that there's that much happening in AR. I think that tons of people see lots of potential. Yeah, uh, uh, the only thought that I had is maybe in the gamers world it's being used, but I don't even know if it's, it's Not successful really. there. I haven't seen any. Not really. I mean, there's a there's a very popular game called Pokemon Go, which is basically just something to do while you're on your walk, and they they there's you'll find these little Pokemon, which are little like creatures. Um, and you can, yeah. but but to do it, you have to hold up your phone with the camera on, and it'll you know show you what's there. And like you know, next to the fire hydrant that you you're looking at through your screen, you might see a little Pokemon. And so you tap on the Pokemon and you collect your Pokemon, and then you go on to you know and you okay, keep walking. So, so so the new glass, which is kind of getting more and more mm -hmm. uh, uh, publicity, uh, whenever that's announced, that's going to take away the issue of. Uh, of uh, having to hold a phone up. Right, yeah, at arm's length. Which, right man, you know, I think that people, the, the muscles on the top of people's shoulders must be stronger than they've ever been in the in their life, you know, in history probably, because we have more people walking around holding up cameras, either taking selfies or, or playing Pokemon Go. We're always holding this stupid phone at arm's length, you know, looking at it. it, it 
I find it appalling, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Not my thing. But, um, but yeah, when they get it to the glass, I think that something like that will become much more playable as a game for people. But I think that you're going to also see things like, um, uh, you know, routing will be through there. So you're mapping turn by turn directions. You'll get visual cues for that. Um, I think things like um, uh, tying it into your contacts so that, you know, uh, when they do facial recognition, you'll be able to like uh, walk up to somebody and pop up their name. So, you won't, you know, you don't have to you, you may, you know, if you forget names that you'll get cues and things like that in your glasses you can th- those kinds hey, of things yeah and those kinds of things are coming that's where i see and and i think that's where people see some potential in ar but um you know it's not there yet yeah i made a little discovery here while i was talking to you apparently i had accidentally shifted your picture to the side because you were over on the side of my picture when I have the keyboard in full view here because it's on your left. And I bumped the picture, and lo and behold, it slid over the other way to where I can no longer see the piano. I see the microphone and all of that. And I've never seen that before. You got, I got a wide-angle shot coming to me that I, don't, that I can control. Interesting. Have you tried that? Um, I know that with my camera settings on my end, I can uh, change the, um, where is it? I can change, like, my camera is capable of of a couple different, you know, resolutions, and I can change that. And maybe if, it's, if I've got it the widest, it allows you to kind of pan around and use what you want. Like, right now when I'm looking at it. Like right now when I'm looking at it, on the far right of my screen, I see a small pair of scissors in a rack in front of a small like seven inch screen above the keyboard. That's the far right. And the far left is this little knob right here that's the side of my microphone that tightens the microphone so it doesn't flop around. And that's that's the, the full width of my screen. Now, you're saying that you saw a subset yeah. of that where you would pan and see the microphone on one side or pan the other way and see the keyboard? That's correct. Interesting. So uh, I, I, it all has to do with the software, in my view. It, the information is being trans, transmitted, and it gives me the effect, though, that like I'm controlling the direction of your camera, but I'm not. And it just occurred to me that if they were to put one of these things put a camera uh, on my television set so that I could use it as a monitor, I was always worried that it'd have to be steerable. Well, this no. isn't steerable, but it gives the effect of being steerable. Now, right. if I could zoom with the same effect, you know, that would be uh-huh. great. Because that means if as long as your camera has collects the information and transmits it, then I can control which piece of it I want to look at. I'd love to have a zoom capability. Right. So, I'm just saying it gives you the effect of camera control, even though it isn't. Right. Well, if you have a, uh, a high enough resolution camera, then you, you can do the zoom thing pretty easily. Um, but you can zoom in and, yeah. you know, I mean, if you've got a, a camera that's a 4K camera and you've got a 1080p screen, you can zoom in four times and, and not lose any resolution. 
Right. So that's what I'm just occurred to me, see, is that there's a solution to the problem that I've been thinking about for quite a long time. And, and it exists if we just have, as you said, provide enough information on, uh, you know, over the system. Of course, that jams up the cables and all, right? <laughs> There's more, unless, I mean, it's already compressed and all that. But still, uh, yeah. when, when you're, especially when you have, you have a crowd in your uh, conference or whatever, yeah. you like to kind of see the people that are speaking and all that, you could do that with a camera that was really super high res and just transmit the whole thing. And then the, the user can, or you can automate it, you know, like automatic switching of the speaker or something, you know, uh-huh. in, in the zoom world. So uh, just a different way of looking at zooming, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's whether, and, and you're, you really want this camera to always be controlled by the viewer. They've they been doing what they want to watch. They've watch. been doing that for some time with the cameras on your phone giving you the effect of zooming, you know, without actually zooming because they keep getting higher and higher resolution chips, you know? Let me tell you what happened here. I just decided to try, while I was talking to you, I was trying to zoom. Well, I had already zoomed in. And that's why when I when I zoom in, I, I don't get the full width of the picture and I can go back and forth. When I squeeze it down, now I've got the whole picture. I don't, I can see all of it, but you're, you're all a little smaller. Uh, it does work that way. So as long as it's transmitted, I can decide how much of this picture I want to look at. Interesting. I mean, I can zoom in only so much, but but I could, I can do it right on screen, just like you'd expect. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole concept is, has been demonstrated, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's well, like I said, the the, the 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 concept and the idea has been around since people have had phones. Basically, I mean, they've they've been using the phones like that. The the, the you know they've been increasing the 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 pixel density on the chips so that they could provide you zooming. Um, there's even a phone out there that has yeah. a like a fifty or a hundred megapixel chip inside of it. Now, granted, they're pretty small pixels, so it's a little noisy, but the the computational photography is fixing all the noise from all these tiny chips to the point where the photos are phenomenal. Yeah. Well, you see what happened in this case is that uh, the app that we're using, what's it called? Oh, Skype. Right. Apparently it's default when it turned it on was to be zoomed in so that I had a full screen view of you. Right. So that's why I realized that first of all, I could pan the thing. Well, you know what discovery. that might be dependent on too is the um, the quality of the camera. So, like the quality of the camera on this particular device is higher than it is on most laptops. I have a, a Logitech uh, Pro camera on this system, and um, oh, so and so I've so got a Microsoft higher res. Will take yeah, so Microsoft apparently is taking advantage of that, and when it gets to this end then it, it's all there. Now it's just a matter of me deciding whether I want to l- look at the whole picture or a zoomed-in version. Right. Or zoomed-out version. And apparently it gave you yeah. the zoomed-in version as a default, huh? Uh, yes. The zoomed-in version is what it, it was the default when, when it came up. And if it yeah. hadn't done that, I'd have never discovered it, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you probably didn't even realize that it was zoomed in, but it was probably zoomed into whatever the resolution is of your screen. So I, I suspect that's probably a combination of the resolution of the device you're watching on and the resolution of the camera that I'm shooting on and how much you can zoom back and forth. That, the next by the time we get on oh, go ahead. onto FaceTime, we've got to see if that same thing is, uh, is implemented. Yeah. No. I think FaceTime just... Um, uh, takes the the resolution of the camera that I have and and squishes it down to give you the best quality picture that it can and you see the whole thing. I don't think that it gives you a zoomed in version. Now you might be able to or maybe at least it defaults that way because I think the the visual quality of the FaceTime is a little bit higher to begin with. So I think they're maxing yeah. out what they can get from the camera. I will say though, and this has been something that people have been griping about because you know Apple just released some new laptops not too long ago they upgraded their 13 inch pro laptops and yeah. um and in fact uh just shortly before that they upgraded the macbook air as well and one thing they did not upgrade at all was the camera on the laptop it's still a 720p camera in a world where tv is now 4k and at the very least most places are running hd at 1080p they're using 720p cameras and I understand that what they're doing that the reason they're doing that is because the 720p camera is a smaller module and it's and the the top of a laptop is very thin and they don't want to put a lump there, um, which for me is I don't understand if they put a freaking lump on the back of their phone why can't they put one on their on their laptop? Frankly, what I would do <laughs> is because put, it's Apple. <laughs> yeah, but I mean I would put a higher Ivy quality. Yeah. Seems to me like that would have been one of the first things that I would have done once Johnny left was let's get better quality cameras. It's interesting that if you do a FaceTime conversation using an iPad or a phone, you get much higher quality video because they have better cameras. Um, and that if you use the laptop, you're down to 720, which is significantly worse. I mean, order of magnitude worse than some of these things, you know, than a 4K. Well, and even if you had a big laptop, they're not that much thicker. They'd probably make the same compromise there. It's the same camera, whether you buy the 16-inch, the 13-inch, or the MacBook Air. Same camera in all of their computers. Now, they do have a higher-quality no one in their iMac, the desktop. But uh, I, I don't understand why they don't put a better camera, put a little hump there for the camera on the front side, and then when you fold the camera, when you fold the thing closed, the little indent that you have that you use to grab with your thumb to, to open the computer, just make the little indent large enough to handle the fact that you've got a lump there from your camera. And, it, and you don't have to make the computer any thicker or thinner. Or, I mean, it just it seems to me like that's a no-brainer in the engineering side of things. And I don't understand hmm. why they're doing that, other than I guess they maybe think that nobody cares. But I've seen several people complaining about it now that that was one of the things that they didn't upgrade, and the quality of the video is poor. Hmm. Yeah, you it, know, you know, it's you, you, Apple should not be the weakest link ever. Yeah, you know, in, in anything communication business. Yeah, in communications business, everything matters. Yeah, well, right? and especially when everybody's sitting at home working from home nowadays, it's like, how come you look fuzzy? Oh, you know, let me switch. I'll, I'll let me get my iPad. I'll look better on the iPad. Or, or maybe be, I've been at home and haven't had a haircut in three months. I want to look fuzzy. <laughs> but at least it should well, be my option, be, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's really funny how uh, before we had really good, better quality videos and stuff like that, uh, we were happy with what we had. 
I mean, because we didn't know any better. Right. But today, I go I go back and open up my my old MacBook, you know, from 2008. Right. And I say, how could I ever? How did I ever tolerate this this picture? I mean, yeah. it's so crappy. You know, it's you know? funny because I've seen a lot of people complain about that, and uh, both my daughters and my wife have um, the 20, I think 12 and 13 MacBook Airs, which were before they had the Retina screens, and I look at them and go, they don't look that bad. I don't understand why everybody was complaining. <laughs> I really don't, you know. And and I well, have a I have a MacBook Pro, a 13 inch MacBook Pro with a Retina screen, so it's not like I don't have something to compare to. Um, and in fact, the computer that I'm sitting on right now, my my office computer, even though it supports 4K screens, I don't have 4K screens because I didn't want to spend the money, um, and I already had. So I've got two two 27 inch screens in front of me that are are uh, 1080p screens. Yeah, I don't well, ever complain about the quality of this video. It's I think it looks fine. I yeah. guess there are people who are more well, picky than I am. I, I, I'm about a 97% user of iPads, so right. generally this is this is this is my primary tool. But I I can see that my MacBook, which is uh, more recent than the iPad, uh, is significantly better picture, and it's about the same size. Well, the iPad has you know? the same resolution as your MacBook. I don't I don't know what the difference is. I haven't quite been able to figure it out. But it's, in fact, I think my MacBook is a little smaller picture, uh, but and maybe it that's it. But for the size, but for the size, it looks better than than the um, yeah. iPad. The um, the MacBook that you have is a 12-inch MacBook, and you have a 12.9-inch right. iPad. So your iPad is actually a slightly larger. Um, so let's yeah. look and see. Let me. I I have this great app. I have it on my Mac and on my iOS devices. It's called Mac Tracker, and my only complaint is the guy doesn't update it as often as he should. Um, and so sometimes I go look for devices and they're not in there yet. But it gives you basically the specs on every Apple device ever sold. Um, so if I go to MacBook, and what year is your MacBook? Was it one of the first ones that came out? It was the first MacBook. So, well, actually, the first MacBooks were plastic back in 2006. So yours was the first one oh, of the, oh, of the oh, 12 I, inch. So I, I I that was a yeah, early since, 2015 Retina MacBook. Is that what? Yep, 2015 to April of 2016 is when it was sold. And let's see. That, sound, that doesn't sound right because I don't think it's been that long. But maybe it is. I don't know. Well, it was 2015, 16, and 17. Either way, that 12-inch display, that 12-inch display didn't change. <laughs> Other things change, but not that. Um, so let's see, where is it here? Uh, and so, what's his resolution? I'm looking. I'm looking. I got to scroll through a bunch of stats. Uh, memory and graphics. Okay. Okay. So it's native. 2304 by 1440. That's your native resolution. That's the display panel. So now let me go down to devices, go to iPad, and you have a 13-inch, uh, the first generation of the 13-inch iPad or the 12.9-inch iPad, right? Yeah. So that's second generation. Let's go back to, okay, 12.9-inch iPad shipped in November of 2015. 
So you probably have a slightly um, newer MacBook, but their 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 resolutions are all the same. Uh, so general, let's see what it's okay. Display resolution twenty seven thirty two by twenty forty eight. So it is a higher resolution. Wow. So maybe not the resolution that does it then. Yeah. I don't understand. It's two hundred. I'm always. Okay, pixel density. The iPad is two thousand or two hundred and sixty-four pixels per inch, square. Okay, square yeah. pixels per inch, and the i MacBook is two twenty-six. So two sixty-four to two twenty-six. So the iPad has a higher pixel density. That's interesting. Maybe that's it. Um, let's but see. It's noticeable. That's the thing. You know. Yeah. Let me see. Uh, brightness. iPad is 424 something per uh, meter squared, I guess. Uh, and they don't list a brightness. They don't list a brightness for the uh, MacBook. So I'm just curious to see if there was maybe because sometimes, you know, how bright a display is affects significantly yeah. how you perceive it. Um, and they don't they don't list a brightness for the MacBook. Huh. I'll tell you one thing that well, has changed significantly is the idea that they now have um, uh, HDR uh, high def or um, high dynamic range on their screens, right. so that so that there's um, blacker blacks and brighter brights, and they can coexist on the same screen. Yeah, and that yeah. significantly. In fact, um, I am not in any rush to go buy a new television, but if I go buy a new television, um, that would be my main. Uh, reason is to get an HDR television to get that that wider dynamic range. Isn't that is, isn't that a software process processing thing? No, because um, physically the LCD panels have to be able to display that wider dynamic range. That the um, and and that's oh. so it's it's a it's a uh, physically a different panel that is able to. Um, to isolate parts of the screen. Very often what they're doing is, um, uh, you know, some of the early panels, they were like um, the, the backlighting on the uh, LCD screens were uh, side lighting. And, oh, yeah. and now they're doing um, uh, what they're calling, uh, and this is a, it's a, the technology, the terminology is incredibly confusing, but there's um, uh, micro LEDs and, and mini LEDs. And, uh, one of them is basically talking about using a whole bunch of small LEDs behind the uh, the LCD panel to to backlight and not backlight very small areas, control them very very um, uh, you know not per pixel but but closer to per pixel as opposed to big LED panels on the sides backlighting, um, and that way you get darker darks. And the other one is actually putting small. LEDs that light up sort of like the OLEDs do. So like those giant screens that you see in the football stadiums where there'll be tiny yeah. micro little LEDs that are on the screen that light up and, and, and um, provide direct lighting as opposed to backlighting through a uh, LCD shutter. Sure. And sure. The, calling one micro and one mini and they're completely different technologies is just a marketing nightmare. Yeah. But I think that the marketing people did that on purpose so that they could um, pitch you on one, thinking you're getting the other. You know, 
because the 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 one where they're using uh, um, uh, a higher density of backlighting LEDs is something that's going to be available. And I think that one's called the um, the. Oh, I think they're backwards. I think it's micro LED is the one that's the 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 backlighting and the mini LED, which seems backwards to me. But the mini LED is the one where they put a um, individual tiny, tiny LEDs that light up. But I could have that backwards. Yeah, well, maybe they thought that they're relabeling with new terms uh, they could control would be better for marketing. That's oftentimes the way I see the marketing world is marketing isn't necessarily uh, uh, something that uh, the engineering crowd would approve of. <laughs> yeah, they it's, want it's more related technology. Yeah, in, it is. In, it is definitely a, a marketing thing. Yeah, yeah. there's, there's a different back, uh, philosophy, I guess I should say, usually in engineering groups and marketing groups. Very much so. You know, marketing. Although the engineering groups appreciate that's that they're selling the stuff for them, so they don't complain. What? I can tell you that we've been recording for. Uh, well, we we fiddle farted around for um, for about twenty minutes, and then we've actually been recording for an hour and nine minutes and ten seconds, eleven seconds, twelve seconds. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. All right. Micro LEDs allow for displays that create images through an array of microscopic light emitting diodes. However, these diodes happen to uh, also happen to be self emissive at the pixel level. Basically, imagine an LCD TV, LED TV, but imagine each LCD is much, much smaller and comes with its own backlight, built in backlight. So, um, like OLED, organic LEDs, micro-LEDs themselves emit and act like their own light source. Okay, The mini-LED is the... So I did have it backwards. The mini-LED is the uh, okay. LEDs that are about 100 micrometers. And as a technology, it sits sort of halfway between traditional LEDs and micro-LEDs. It's the one where they have um, the... Uh, Tiny, yeah. tiny backlights through the yeah, standard yeah. LCD shutters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's better to have the lighting and all integrated with the device. Uh, yeah. Than it is to have backlighting at all. Yeah. Ultimately, we will go to the micro LEDs, but the mini LEDs is what Apple has been rumored to be uh, prepping to go into some of their devices. So we'll see um, if that comes out, um, and that will give you better. Uh, better blacks and less of the uh, color distortion that you get and color fade that you get with organic LEDs. Because uh, although Apple has used OLED technology in their watches, kind of we've we've kind of morphed into a very techie conversation. But but the um, Apple's used the OLEDs in their watches on a small, um, really small screen. They haven't used it on anything else. And part of that is, uh, well, I take that back. They've used it on the phones now. Um, but using that on larger screens has some problems with with maintaining color quality over the lifetime of the device yeah and so um uh there's rumors that they'll skip o, uh the oled technology well you know all of these technologies has little groups that are behind them things they're a, that particular technology because they read an article somewhere that sold them on how great it is 
So it's it, marketing has to deal with those kinds of issues as well, because uh, I, I'll bet you it's been 10 or 15 years that people were bugging, uh, at least in the news, uh, put tried to put the bug in Apple's ear to use o OLED, you know, but sure. they resisted. There well, they reasons for it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the, the early OLEDs were not very good quality, and they did not have a good shelf life. You know, having worked in the engineering world, there are all kinds of issues and compromises that are made with any technology. Sure. doesn't matter. So you're just trying to capture the best features of them all. Yeah. And, uh, and the final decisions is... There's a lot of pluses and a lot of minuses. Yeah. Well, when Samsung and Google started shipping OLED screens, there was pressure on Apple to step up and do the same because uh, there yeah. are some advantages to it. Uh, but Apple, like you said, they resisted until they knew that they had a um, production quality that they could scale. Because, you know, Google sells 40,000 phones and calls it a good day. Apple sells 40,000, or calls it a good year, rather. And Apple sells 40,000 phones and calls it a good day. And so they need to, um, uh, yeah, I stumbled over that line, didn't I? <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, at that scale, they have to be able to reproduce it for, for millions and millions of devices and have the same quality. And so they have some problems that other people Absolutely. don't have. All I was trying to do, Todd, was to sort of generalize the whole thing. And the fact is that everything has got pluses and everything has got minuses. Right. No, I'm agreeing and, with you. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a non-trivial reason why one particular manufacturer does something uh, the way they do. Mm -hmm. Because they're in a competitive world, they think that they can compete better if they do it one way or another. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, I mean, and all I was doing, I was agreeing with you. I was just saying one of those those engineering issues is can we scale it? You know, Apple has problems that, 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 that the folks at Google oh. don't have because they don't Google doesn't sell very many phones. So, you know, and that can be an advantage yeah. because they can use a technology that doesn't scale well because they don't have to. Whereas Apple doesn't have that luxury. They have to have something that they can sell millions of, you know. Yep. So different engineering problems. So. Right. Well, we have gone for about an hour and 15 minutes, so why don't we kind of wrap it up? Uh, and, Sounds good. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I have too. I would actually like to do this again, maybe not in this same segment, but we can do it other times. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time is have a conversation with you and use that as a podcast because I think it's really interesting and we talk about a lot of things that we both enjoy talking about anyway. So, Yeah, I I hope you have a way of editing it because of some some of the things we said were were probably so esoteric that nobody cares about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I you know. I can go back and edit, but my sense is to just let it go. Um, and and you know, unless there's something specific that you are concerned that you don't want to be put out there, you know, if one of us uh, uh, said something that we wanted to correct, I could go back and fix it. Um, you know. By the by the way, you recommended a piece of software to me a long time ago. And I got it confused with another piece of software, and I can't remember the names of either one of them right now. But the one that you recommended, uh, I find uh, interesting because I could take a uh, MP3 or file, or no, I wasn't even MP3. It was just a uh, Apple Audio file, like a wave file. And yeah, as soon as you drag it into this app, it immediately uploads it to the to the uh, cloud where they have a process to totally unpack that file into little word-by-word -word segments, and they send the text back down to the app 
so that now you can edit audio by editing text. Does that ring a bell with you? Not at all. <laughs> uh, well, maybe, I may have sent it to you, maybe. but I honestly don't recall. Um, and if you if you refine the name of it, then please send it to me because I'm interested in that. I'd like to look at it again, but I don't recall. I think that there was one app, the one that I was remembering, and I can't remember the name of it either, was one that um, sent it up. You sent it up to the cloud, and they sent it back down and gave you text, but they basically that was for closed captioning, so you could include closed captioning on your um, video if you wanted to. It would embed that. No, anyway, I finally got around to doing it after I got mis uh, mistracked. I thought I had the right app to do it, and it wasn't. And then when I found the other app that I really wanted, and I had already downloaded it, but I just hadn't used it. And so I used it to, uh, to translate one file with two different people in the conversation. And the nice thing about it is you can have multiple voices, but it, it's a voice recognition thing. To uh -huh. the point that in the text, it labels who it thinks is talking. Now, it doesn't always get it right. And Might have trouble with you and I since we have similar voices. Yeah, but but anyway, uh, you can change the identity of that remark and, and mm -hmm. move, you know, delete uh, just the uh, identified portion. So it's all editable. And I found mm -hmm. it just to be phenomenal if for no other reason than... Everybody, when they speak, has these little, uh, ah, uh, you know. Give your thumb on the camera. And let me think. Yeah, let me think about it for a while. But if you read that in text, it's extremely distracting. And, in fact, you can, by, it'll automatically edit that kind, those kinds of things and either delete them or mark them out. It'll show up on your text. Right. Either way. And so that, uh. In, in a maybe a 50 minute conversation that I was processing there, I think it found 129 Oz. Yeah. And it just poof. Now you can play it back again without those things in there and never right. know it, that they were to begin with. Was it smart enough to and know that there's a certain amount of ambient background noise? And when you remove that sound, you don't just have like a silent gap that now sounds weird? Well, you got now, your thumb right that, over the that, camera, that, by the way. Yeah, by the way, because it was a podcast that I put in there, there was intro music as well as when the show ended. And it, it like it didn't exist. Now, you, if you want, you can put your own music in anywhere into the show, and it'll play back, but it's totally distinct, or it can be overlaid with the voices. And you can adjust the volume profile when that happens. You can just come down on an angle or however you want to do it. Well, you, do, so you want find that app or find that website again and send me a link because I don't remember that, but um, or I remember it vaguely, and I would like to play around with it. But um, why don't we wrap it up today, and we'll continue our conversation. Maybe we can come back and talk about that app some more. Okay, Todd. All right. So enjoyed it. Have a good. Thanks for joining us on the Brink. I'm Todd Brinker. My guest today has been Jack Brinker, my dad. I hope you have a wonderful day. Goodbye. All right.